Welcome to the Stories Are Soul Food podcast, presented by Cannonball Books and Great Homeschool Conventions. Welcome to the Stories Are Soul Food podcast, and I wanted to ask you, Nate, <laughs> yeah, if you'd heard of uh, the new record Kickstarter, Brandon Sanderson's Kickstarter just raised $25 million in five days or something mm. to release four novels, uh, self-published, uh, through the Kickstarters. I was curious if that you seems, had any thoughts. It seems bizarre to me. I mean, I mean, it makes sense direct. I don't know why he would do that. I just don't. So. I don't know either. I have never finished a Brandon Sanderson book, although I've, I haven't tried particularly hard. So, it's one of those things where with Kickstarter, you're giving up such a huge chunk to it's Kickstarter. It's 30, right? 30%? Yeah. I think it's 30. You but might have gotten a better deal. Say I don't know. 20% even. Like, why are you giving up that much money? And then you really could have just pre sold this thing. You know, it's like this is. Right. So, it's four manuscripts and 12, 16 merch boxes that he's sending out to these people over an entire year. That sounds so painful to me. Uh, I, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a lot of sales. It's but. really painful. I just am, I'm curious too. My, my only thought is, and this is of course coming from a publisher, so sour grapes, but my only thought was the manuscripts aren't good enough to be published. So he self-publishes them or he didn't get an offer. No, on once, once you've built a brand big enough, you don't need a publisher uh, to get the, to actually get to your consumers, yeah, uh, to get to your readers. However, you do need hopefully a publisher to get outside of your own head and. Yeah. We've discussed other books that yeah. needed, needed an editor. And so you can, you can look at like, we've talked about Potter and other things where you, you look at the later books of Potter and you think, okay, so she, did she need Scholastic? No, she did not. She really didn't. What, what were they doing? Right. Um, I mean, they, they handled logistics for her, but given the, the percentage they were taking, that's silly. So he's got a big enough fan base. He, he could be spooling up his own platform, his own shingle uh, and doing that. Direct access to your own consumers is great as far as it goes, but I'm a firm believer, uh, a, a, an extremely firm believer in do only what you're best at and try to find other people who are best at other parts and then don't do those things. Yeah. So I could do a lot of things, but if there's other people who are better at those things, let's just remove those from my, from my plate, from my desk and not do them. Cause you don't want to worry about logistics while you're trying to write. Right. Yeah. Why on earth would we, would I do that? Um, and that's when I look at all of that, that's what I see. It's like, man, you have a, I mean, you really just want to found a whole publishing operation for this one thing. And how much money are you actually going to make? Like wh how much is going to, is he going to actually pocket by the time he's done? Everybody's going to think you just made 25 million and you did not make 25 million by the time you're done across four books and all that inventory and all that delivery and then all that logistical management and all the people you're hiring. Uh, Freight is additional, yeah. which is interesting to me. You right. know, I mean, he's at least doing that, but it's, it's crazy to think about the $5 million that go to Kickstarter yeah. know, at minimum, five to seven. Minimum. So we scrape that off the top and then do everything else. And so by the time he's done, is he really made that much more than he would have with a strong deal with a publisher? Yeah. Uh, if, he, if he'd gone to auction or something like that. Yeah. So I don't know. And I'd say maybe, but 
do you want that? Like, cause now all that extra work and care that you put into all those side hustle pieces of this endeavor, um, you know, you spent doing that instead of actually writing some more stuff. So I, you do. Know, I, I do have a lot of things that I like to do that are not just writing. Um, then I get, I get distracted and I do all sorts of other stuff, other projects. And you know, it's, it's tough. There's always things that are hard. So, but I like what I'm doing with Ashtown, I'm doing with uh, silent bells for silent bells for Ashtown for silent bells. Um, is that direct access to consumers, like letting them facilitate the creation of a rough draft, uh, which would never come into existence otherwise. So it, it just wouldn't happen. It would not happen. Cause I have other work, you know, I have work and it's, and it's hard to make it happen now. Like I'm, it's been forever between the last chapter and the mm -hmm. next chapter, because I've had to do, you write multiple scripts and do multiple passes on those scripts. Yeah. And it's, and so it's yeah, one of those squeezing that, in three to 6,000 words. Yeah. And like, okay, I've got to stop and write a chapter on this draft. And I, and I've got all these people waiting for it and I'm going to do it. I'm excited about it. And like, okay, the next chapter is going to happen and it wouldn't otherwise, it just wouldn't. Right. So that's possible. Like it's possible for me to scrape and claw and carve out, you know, the next chapter, but even there it's hard. It's not easy. Um, and so I've got my own approach to get there. And so I sympathize with him trying to find a way to be more efficient and a way to get to, you know, get to his readers directly. I can sympathize with that. I just don't see how, how Kickstarter and all these extra tiers make any sense. Ted Apple's done it effectively as well. And he loved it. And he knew he was going to get kicked off. And he actually could clear decent money because he was efficient. But this, the stuff he had to work on and care about. and mm -hmm. I mean, now he moved to Indiegogo, right? Uh-huh. So uh, even that, the platform. And he knows that even there, he's, he's not going to last forever. It's like, because he's going to get deplatformed there eventually yeah call back to whatever that was early episodes of sasfo with 10 yeah. people on yep so it's uh i get it i sympathize with it i sympathize with the desire of authors to reach readers in different ways and it's funny because you have one, one of the most common conversations i have with aspiring authors is how to get a publisher and then when you talk to authors who are well established and very successful, they're thinking constantly of how to get rid of their publisher. Right. <laughs> like, how, do, how do I get rid of the publisher and bypass the publisher and just get to the crowd yeah. without, without the publisher? How do I cut out this infrastructure? Yeah. And so the young aspiring authors are thinking, please, please, can you connect me? Can you hook me up with New York? Um, and then the guys who are cashing large checks and let's say that you you're a best-selling author and you made a ton of you made a ton of sales and you only cleared a million dollars in a year and you're thinking man that's a lot of units i just sold to only make a million how do i make 10 million dollars how do i how do i grow how do you be ambitious it's like well i need to get rid of this publisher i how do i just get to those people and take a bigger bite of the apple yeah and that frequently means putting on a worse product Yep. I mean, you look at the, the typical publishing knowledge is that you make 20%. So the author gets half of that, the 10%. Or, you know, if you're making 30, then the author would make a 15%. Yeah. But uh, I think most people look at the 90 10 split and think, wow, the publisher must be getting rich. Yeah. Off of super rich. <laughs> it is not so. <laughs> there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff to do to, yeah. to release a book and a lot of infrastructure that's in place. 
So that those sunk costs and maintaining the infrastructure are are real. It's very real. Otherwise, you end up like the rings of power leaving half of your infrastructure in New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> the rings of power. A mistake yeah. made by self-publishers. So it is, I mean, everybody, what everybody wants in an ideal world is to sit around and think of great thoughts and then have people pay them tons of money for them and have the book write itself super easily and then have it sell really, really well. Oh. And, <laughs> and that actually kind of doesn't happen. And so if you're really successful and you sell your first novel, a friend of mine sold, you know, first book wins the national book award oh and wow like whoa yeah yeah that's there, great boom hallelujah okay now it's time for book two all you all you have now is the burden of failure like that's where your that's where your bar is and then the publisher is like yeah this one didn't really work so we're gonna have to reduce your royalties now we're gonna have to actually give you a smaller advance next time we're gonna actually all your deals are going the other direction yeah, they're saying, sorry, did you expect to win the National Book Award with every, every book? Every time. <laughs> did, you, did you really think that's how this was going to work? Yeah. Um, it's like, hmm, no, it, it, did, it doesn't go that way. And you have, then you have guys like me. It's like where I've earned out advances and had big franchises. Then you see personnel changes and you know series getting canceled or series getting moved to publishers and you're hopping around and it's like, oh, this book we canceled marketing on, or this book, and you can see why authors think they need to get rid of their publisher, because the publisher yeah. is so is is not monogamous. The publisher has so many relationships to care about, right? And the one they care about more than anything else is their own bottom line. Well, and, um, well, <laughs> they have to. Yeah, we have to. <laughs> yeah, it's not a, it's not an insult. It just is the case. And so I don't think it's a bad thing to have authors have to eat some of their own cooking. And see see right. like what the actual market says about their about their work. So Sanderson has a massive base, and he obviously he could, was able to raise twenty five million on Kickstarter, and his fans were willing to donate five to seven million of that to Kickstarter for the privilege of doing it, which is just absurd to me. Right. Um, so we'll see how how successful he is. And I think the the question is, right afterwards, when this one's done, will he do another one? And that's that's what's going to tell us whether or not it worked as well as he thought it would. So if he does this and is like, yeah, this is my future. And does another one. And does another one and raises, you know, 22 million, 19 million and is happy and keeps going, you know, then we'll know like, yeah, his margins are great. He actually has this dialed in. He's smart. This is working. Yep. But what it means is he just used Kickstarter to, to found a publisher that only publishes him. Right. Do you think it has a lot to do with his genre? I'm just trying to think of other people who could do this. Right. And it doesn't seem like every author could pull this off. It seems like I'm, I'm trying to think what is it that Sanderson has? Is it just the sheer number of people? It can't be that because, in some sense, you can pay for that. Well, I mean, okay. So he's a strong fantasy, he's a strong fantasy base. Right. They are famously committed. <laughs> right. You know, there's a, there's a famous commitment there. But if you move over into other genres, what are you thinking wouldn't work? Well, I'm just, I'm just wondering, you know, there's a reason that the other Kickstarters, the 20 million one that had the record before him was watches, you know, smart watches. And it, yeah. it seems, you know, we've seen some good book success. Uh, I'm trying to think about 10 Naples top. Yeah. Um, you know, a couple, a Grabbing couple million, a couple million. Yep. Um, it's, it just seems like that sort of buy-in and interest for the merch 
connected with such that your most people are dropping $500 right there on Sanderson for a year. Maybe it just speaks to the value of it, it needs to be somebody who's like, yeah, I'm I'm planning on reading four novels from this voice in the next year. And if I yep. didn't have that and I want and I want goodies. And and the and, and I want goodies and, and the 12 is, t-shirts, and in, the, you know? in a digital age, physicality is highly valuable. Yeah. Everybody's trying to give me digital, 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 and this is stuff I can touch. Yeah. And that is uh T-shirts tied with things I love. Would we all do that for Tolkien? Tolkien t-shirts? I would say, okay, so if if Jonathan Ronald Rule <laughs> yeah. suddenly said, hey, 500 bucks, I've got four novels you can read, I'd, I'd be in. I have to say I would be too. Yeah. So these people feel about Sanderson the way that- I'd do the same thing for Lewis. We'd do the same thing for a number of- I'd probably do the same thing for Woodhouse. I would do the same. I don't, I'd actually, we probably wouldn't for Chesterton. That's the funny part. As much as I love Chesterton, I'd be like, the, well, a couple of those dude, could you be slack a dud. off on your novels. Yeah, a couple of those could be real duds. <laughs> yeah. I know I'm only going to be getting like one novel because <laughs> yeah. if I take the great moments from all of these, like the ball on the cross is awesome. Man, it was Thursday. I really enjoy immensely. Um, but yeah, no, even Chesterton, as much as I love Chesterton, I wouldn't drop five. Yeah, I don't know. I but hard, I feel I, I feel time. this way. I feel this way with back to my own situation. Like people, people are willing because they love Ashtown. They love the characters. People have been willing to pony up to enable me to write this book. Yeah, and they know that that's what they're doing. They're enabling me to write this book, and yeah. I, that's fantastic. And I appreciate it. And so they know they're. I hear from people all the time who are like, I you know. I really, 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 really want this book. I just really, really, really want this book. But I did the math and a book would normally cost me, you know, $8 yeah. when yeah. I buy the paperback. And you're charging $3 a and you're chapter. And you're, I'd be paying $3 a chapter for this. And that's just, I just can't justify that. I'm like, great. You don't get to read it. It's fine with me. I mean, that's just, this is the way it works. But more than that, you don't get to put your shoulder on the minivan and help push it out of the ditch and help make it exist, which is what the thousands of people who've chipped in to make this thing happen have done. Right. So they are, they're paying to, to bring something into existence. And I know that's happening with Sanderson too. I know his fans are, are, they want these things to exist and they're able to make it exist. So I've seen a real power and this, uh, this exists over at angel studios. This exists in other place in other places. A real power that comes when, uh, in a good way, uh, to the reader, to the consumer, to the viewer, when you treat them like the executive, when you treat them like the publisher, and you say, okay, do you want to green light this project? You can green light this project. Yeah. And green lighting this project costs more than just consuming a, than consuming a paperback right. borrowed from a friend. And so the thing that's funny is I have, I have people who are not. Uh, they're not wealthy people who have multiple subscriptions in their house, you know, one for each kid because they they view these things as a treasure that when they've actually finished accumulating all the the first draft of uh, of this novel, they'll have that forever. When yeah. the novel's edited, when the novel's released, when the novel comes into existence, when the book series is completed, they will still have this artifact that was, you know, like this was that first draft that they helped create that they brought it into existence and they can they can be there with conf in the full confidence that it would not have existed otherwise like right they they helped green light this thing 
And that there's that's kind of awesome. We did that with Riot in the Dance on Angel Studios. Like, do you want more Riot in the Dance? You can green light this. Like you can yeah. actually be the executive I mean, and, gre- yeah. and green light this TV show. Instead of waiting for Hollywood executives to serve your needs, you can actually like take the initiative and do this. And that is something that I love to do. And I've seen that lots of other people love to do. And we're willing to pay a little bit more when we know we're creating something from nothing into right. in white space. Well, at Canon and Cannonball, to, that's why we get so many people who are subscribing to Canon Plus. Yeah. And they like the content, but they also are our friends. They want it to exist. They want to help they us. They want it to exist. They want, you know, we're trying to build yeah. an audience of like-minded Christians. Yeah. And so, and so they, think, they in. think in terms of support and they think in terms of building and, yep. and all, all that kind of stuff. So I, under, I do understand the Sanderson Kickstarter because I've seen it with our Riot in the Dance campaign on Angel. Mm-hmm. And I've seen it with uh, Ashtown and the Silent Bells. And I actually, with that one, I just said, I'm going to cap it. Like, I'm just capping this. We need to hit 2,000 subscribers and I'm going to close it and we're going to go. And we shot right past that. I mean, we just, you know, it's like it, it ended up in a great place. And it's good, you know, we're going to keep going. And when the book's finished, when that, and I should say, when the draft is finished, when the rough draft is finished and published in these newspapers, then I'll, you know, we'll be going back around and we'll, we'll be trying to release, finding a way to release the, an actual box set or something. Like, how do we release right. the completed series? And there's a lot of legal contract. Uh, shenanigans to navigate as far as Random House goes on that front. But it is it is really interesting to see what people will pay for and what they won't pay for. Yeah. I mean, that comes down to it is that they see the value of $500. That's what Sanderson is for a year. Or yeah. they see the value of three bucks a, a chapter, chapter of Nate's yeah. stuff. I'm totally, that's totally worth it. It's very yeah. fun. Yeah. And the, so the fact that the other thing is it's three bucks a chapter. It's not the information. It's a newspaper that shows up and the the experience for your kids of that showing up right um, with a comic in it and yeah and so we try to make, we try to make it cool and here's a here's a thing it's a physical artifact that's going to show up documenting this journey as this rough draft is is finished eventually as it will be i promise you eventually <laughs> yeah i can finished. hear people shouting but when's the next yeah. one coming yeah soon king soon. david got in the way <laughs> as, as he does king david is pretty disruptive so that kind of st- i mean that is it's really cool the way that works but i'm still very much a guy i buy albums for example okay on principle i just buy albums and if i like the music from somebody i purchase their album i do not use spotify at all okay like i just won't do it like i hate it because it feels like it's just eliminating the support that you have yeah it's like i have i have the ability to purchase their album and I know that they will appreciate that way more than they will appreciate me adding it to my Spotify playlist. Um, so I am not on Spotify. I don't use Spotify. I purchase albums and I purchase songs too. It's like, but I still overwhelmingly, if I buy a couple singles from from a band, I tend to go buy their album, and then I'm kind of like, yeah, those were the good songs. <laughs> but <laughs> but I still want them to keep making stuff, and so that's. The way I pursue it, and what we've done is, we have people who like like that. They like to support stuff, and they like to create. They like to help create the things that they want to consume. They have a hand in creating the things they want to consume more of. And then we have the rest of the population that's very used to just devaluing it and consuming it for free, and just kind of drafting on it. Yeah. And so there are those super fans who give and support, 
the people who fund the chosen, the people who fund Riot and the Dance, the people who fund shows they want to exist, uh, the people who kickstarted Sanderson series uh, or back my Silent Bells thing. You have people who invest in the creation of culture. Like they are a unique breed. It's a unique personality that they're willing to invest in the creation of culture. And this is across believer and unbeliever. There's a lot of them, I think it skews towards believer. Like they will invest in the creation of culture. You're talking about patrons versus. Yeah. They think like patrons. Yeah. And they want, they want a world in which that art exists. They want a world in which that story exists, that show exists. They seem to understand how culture works too, a little yeah. bit, because it doesn't, it can't happen without a patron. What is the bottom line ultimately? The bottom line is a world in which this thing exists, in which these voices continue to speak or sing or create. And then you have the rest of the population. Um, the Harmon brothers, actually at Angel, gave me percentages and broke it down. You know, talking about the, the demographic analysis where you have people who just, just consume. And they frequently can feel very entitled, underserved, fussy, you know, like they just want to receive. But there is this patron class and this patron personality that they take great joy in being able to like create. They might not be the ones writing the novel. They might not be the one making the show, but they love putting like they love throwing their shoulder against the back of the minivan and pushing it out of the ditch with it's the also, rest of the crowd. Uh, when I've talked to people like that, they're very humble too. Yeah. You know, because they're they aren't expecting you to remember their eight bucks. <laughs> right. <laughs> but they are all yeah. the same, being like, Yep. Here we go. No, I love it. It blew bigger. my mind. It blew when we were doing the riot campaign, it blew my mind the people who had come out of nowhere and back this project with a significant, you know, investment. And then also people who are taking the time and putting the effort in to invest in this project with a small investment. He was like, cause that also was like, right. Yeah. It took effort. It took intentionality and it took like, they had to go through all the steps and like, yeah, be committed. Like, no, I want this to happen. And this is what I can do. Like I am a, but I want to help push this thing. I want to help make this thing happen. And it is, there's a, there is just a personality that they share. And so you see people swinging in whatever weight class they can swing you see that impulse. And so it turns out that there's a lot of investors and there's a lot of people who would be film financiers and publishers if, uh, if God had given them you know, some massive inheritance from their great aunt. But God gave them something less, and so they're being faithful with that. They're being faithful to the call. You know, it's like they, they do mm. feel called to do it, and God will bless it. You know, so it's one of those things that he's, he's told us over and over and over again, that you're faithful with a little, you'll be faithful with much. Right. And so people who have small salaries they have small disposable income and yet they're taking the portion that they can to help create culture and to help create wholesome good culture in the world with their investment with their backing with their support they they are a very unique class of people and god will bless it and they get to live that they then get to live in the world and their kids get to live in the world that has that culture in it one more lighthouse on the cliffs one more bakery handing out you know good stuff and I, I love it. I love seeing it. And so it's a far more recent phenomenon just given the technological advancements that we've had with crowdfunding and, and even yeah. innovation and, and direct-to-consumer stuff. But I love it. I love seeing it. And so I love seeing whether it's Canon's app and Canon like, you know, having its direct subscriber base, you know, people who are, who yeah. are piling in. 
subscribing to Canon and helping create content or people who've supported my, my stuff directly or Riot in the Dance and elsewhere, I think it's awesome. I think it's fantastic. And it yeah. is people who are doing more than just, not that there's anything wrong with this, but people are doing more than just taking their kids to the library to get free copies. Right. Like, and, and there's nothing wrong with yeah, that. We love libraries. Yeah. Well, I love, I, up until two years ago, yeah. we went to the library regularly. <laughs> yeah. But I, I grew up getting dragged to the library every Saturday and it was awesome. You yeah. Know, it's like, it's a great experience. But I also grew up in a home that pushed its chips in on creating actual books and publishing and, yeah. And bringing stuff into the world. So I really would encourage anybody listening, like the stories are soul food thing of trying to find stuff that's wholesome to feed your people. And even consume yourself, films, shows, books, engaging with it critically, pulling it apart, analyzing it, having that communal experience with your kids, with your family, as you read and discuss, as you watch and discuss, it is a really, really healthy experience. You know, it really is. But so is also saying like, yeah, let's, let's actually help make something happen. Like let's, let's bring more into the world. And that's, there's yeah. a lot of different opportunities to do that. There's that book by Joseph Pieper, you know, leisure as the basis of culture. Yeah. Just this idea that we're free enough to create culture now. But I liked it too because the idea, that idea of leisure being the basis of culture, we've been given a lot, right? Yeah. And I think your sister made this point. In the, in the 50s, there were so many massive technological developments in the home that all of a sudden it was hard to know what to do with yourself because yeah. making food didn't take so long. Didn't take had, as long. Right. Because you could go to the grocery store. And now here the we house are. house could be cleaned more efficiently. Exactly. Yeah. And, and we're in a similar place now. Yeah. W what do you do when you have so much free time? Do you just sit there and whine about gas prices? Which <laughs> I've been doing today. <laughs> Understandably. But the thing is, you want, you want to support things that are wholesome. You want to support them by consuming them, by finding them. You want yeah. to like step one, find them, consume them, share them. So spread the word. I mean, spreading the word about anything valuable and wholesome and good is, is one of the nicest things you can do for a creator. Yeah. So if you find a book, if you find a film or a show that is like, Hey, this is great. This is really good. We watched this with our kids. We read this with our kids. This is really wonderful. Tell people. <laughs> they want to know like they, a, they want more. And then also the creators will be extremely grateful to you, but do whatever you can do to buy the album, you know, to, to buy the book, you know, to buy the hardcover, like to do, to do what you can, like you like that author, like buy, like buy the nice edition. If you can't buy the nice edition, great. Like, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, buy the paperback, buy a paperback for your other kid too. You know, it's like, just try to actually build libraries and collections and actually, actually consume and then spread the word support these people support the people who are doing a good job support it with your readership and then your voices and then also actual pocketbooks but as those things come up as those opportunities come up to subscribe to support to back to invest in lighthouses in this dark world mm -hmm. like to actually invest in those things to invest in the creation of culture in soul food restaurants you know yeah. to actually invest in those places then Take it very, very seriously. Like, do you want to live in a world that has more of that or less of that? Uh, and then put your money where your mouth is. This turned into an episode on patrons, but that's great. Patronage. Patronage. It is inevitable. Patronage. It is not possible to have arts without it. The patron class is necessary. 
And if it's directly to the crowd, like Sanderson just did, it's still patrons. Or if it's a giant New York corporation, you know, some massive publicly traded company that says, hey, we're going to give you a ton of money to take the next nine months to write this book. And it's an advance against the royalties. That's a different form of patronage. It really is. Yeah. So patronize. Be patrons. Patronize as many people as possible. Yeah. Just go forth and patronize. You heard it here. (laughs) Hi, it's Brian Cole here. Wanting to let you know how you can support the Stories Our Soul Food podcast. You can do that by checking out Canon Plus. Head over to mycanonplus.com. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the SASF podcast. We'll hopefully be seeing you at mycanonplus.com.